0: All right, if you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Hebrews chapter 2, where Tedra was just reading from. Yesterday was uh, the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11, and like many of you, I can remember exactly where uh, I was when, you know, I heard the news. I was a senior uh, in college, and I was driving down 10th Street in Atlanta to class, uh, listening to 99X, the alternative radio station, and uh, heard the news. Went to class, didn't really know what was going on. Uh, it wasn't until we got out of class that realized the fullness of what was going on. Classes were canceled. You're supposed to have a career fair that day. Um, Cancelled. Everything was canceled in downtown Atlanta for uh, a while. And in the aftermath of, you know, 9-11 and what we all went through who were alive uh, during that time. People began asking questions immediately after where was God? Where, where was He in that? And in the days that followed, people flocked to church and churches just filled with, you know, positive thinking, diddly widdly Ned Flanders. Just gave out answers uh, like trying to preserve God's goodness because He is good. But in trying to preserve that, they gave out answers like, well, you know, God didn't intend for this to happen. This was outside of His control, this wasn't part of His plan. God didn't know that this was coming. And so, in trying to preserve His goodness because He is good, they completely undercut the truth of Scripture that He is sovereign and He is in control. And difference like I can't imagine a more terrifying place than a place where God is not in absolute control. Even in the midst of things that we don't understand, one of the biggest comforts in the universe, especially when things go horribly wrong, is that God's still in control. He's still on His throne. He can't be stopped. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And that He's working for the good of His people in all things, even when we, we can't see it. And so even when we don't understand what's going on, there's still a purpose in it. Joni Erickson Tata is a lady who has wrestled with these type of questions for a long time. She was an athletic 17-year-old who dove into a river and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. Today, she's still... And she's written this, Sometimes God permits what He hates in order to accomplish what He loves. you got to think on that for a little bit. Sometimes God permits what He hates in order to accomplish what He loves. And friends, the the evil of 9-11 was something God hated. And yet He still allowed it. Why? I have no idea. I don't know that I'll ever know in this lifetime. But what I do know is that as hard and as tragic as that situation was, it was not outside of God's control. And mysteriously, it wasn't outside of His goodness. How do I know that? Because of what this book says. Because of the nature and character of God. Because of the repeated stories and examples in Scripture of this very thing from Joseph in Egypt. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. To Jesus on the cross, where we watch the greatest evil the world could ever do. The slaughter of the Son of God result in the greatest good the world could ever know. Salvation being made available to all who believe. And so, friends, when suffering or hardship or difficulty come into our lives, we've got to remember these things. We've got to get our eyes up and see beyond the immediate moment and remember truths from God's Word. We need to remember them and we need to put them into practice. Not just know the plays, but run the plays. And as we come to Hebrews chapter 2, where the author is still just laying out evidence that Jesus is better than, that He is supreme over angels, like even as that is His big theme embedded in verses 5-9, through is, is a pathway for living in the midst of hard days. A pathway for remembering some truths and then putting them into action, putting them into practice. Truths that we have to know, and then on the basis of them, live. And none of this means it's easy. But this is the pathway in hard days. And so what i want to do this morning is i want to give you three things that we need to remember. Three things that we need to remember. I could give you more, but from this text, three things that we need to remember and hang on to, and then just how we put that into practice, all right? And so to get us started, look with me at verse 5 again. Hebrews chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And so there's the big argument just right away. Okay, there's the big argument. Now, Jesus is supreme over angels. He's been supporting this from the beginning, uh, from chapter one, with all of these Old Testament quotes. He's going to do that here as well. It wasn't to the angels that God subjected the world to come. It is to the Son. So that's the big argument, okay? But we need to not overlook uh, something in this verse. We need to like not read too fast past something, and it's this. There is a world to come. And so number one in your notes, remember, there is a world to come. We can. I think this is something we miss when we read this text. We just fly past it. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Like clearly stated, there is a world to come. We need to remember that. We fly past it when we read it. I think we also fly past it just in our day-in, day-out lives. So often we forget that and we live for right now, right now, this moment, and we forget that there is a world to come. And we might baptize it with some Jesus sauce on the side, but if we could be honest, so, much, so often we just live just like the world. Nice house, nice car, nice spouse, nice family, nice retirement. That's what we live for. No, no real sacrifice. Listen to the words of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, and He told them a parable saying, and here Jesus speaks, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, towards God. Friends, there is a world to come. And for some of us, that should be terrifying. You're in rebellion to God. You know that. You are separated from Him by your sin. And so the fact that there's a world to come is terrifying. But it need not be. like That's the bad news. The good news is is that Jesus has come, and we just sang, made a way for us through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. He has made a way for all who would believe. That's the good news. And for those who trust in that, or for those who already have, the fact that there's a world to come is not terrifying, but is unbelievably comforting that this brokenness that we see all around, this is not all there is. There is a world to come. There is more to come. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 puts it this way. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so friends, when you face trials and tragedy, when you face mountaintops even, good things, wonderful things, when you face valleys, Remember, there is a world to come. And as you remember, it helps even out the highs and the lows. It keeps you humble in the highs because this is not all there So is. I'm not going to rejoice too much in this. Wonderful. But this isn't all there is. And in the lows, it keeps you hopeful because this is not all there is. There is a world to come. And so don't live for right now. Don't live for just like right here, this moment. Live for when we've been there 10,000 years. Live for that. There's a world to come, all right? We've got to remember that. Secondly, we need to remember in the world to come, we will see everything in subjection to Jesus. In the world to come, we will see, we will see it, everything in subjection to Jesus. And so look at verse 5 with me again. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and what he's going to do is quote Psalm 8 here. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? for a little while, was made lower than the angels. So he's referencing back to Psalm 8 now. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. And so like right now, we don't see everything in subjection to Jesus. But in the world to come, we will. And so again, remember the context here, what's going on. The author is proving the supremacy of Jesus over angels. And so again, he's saying, hey, listen, it's not the angels that God subjected the world to come. It's to Christ. And so the author picks up Psalms 8 and applies it to Jesus. Which is just a great example of how the Bible develops theologically, you know, earlier themes in Scripture. I mean, it's kind of like how in Marvel movies, like, you see all these crazy connections. Oh, that's how that connects to this. Oh, that's how this connects to this. Oh, that's how the Ten Rings back in Iron Man 1 connects to Shang-Chi today, a decade later. Like, the Bible's full of all these cross-references, cross-connections. The Bible just does that all the time. Because, like, Psalm 8 was originally just focused on humanity, on mankind. And David was just marveling at the fact that, like, God, majestic, holy, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God, is mindful of us. What is man? Like, we're nothing. That you are mindful of him. We're the Son of Man, and that's not like a proper name, that's just another, like, mankind. It's not capitalized. And he's just marveling over this. This God cares for us. He's mindful of us. And then on top of this, He's given us, He's given humanity, dominion over the earth. It's in subjection to us. This is just straight up Genesis chapter 1. It was sometimes referred to as the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate. It says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, The hour referring to the triune Godhead. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Binary. Binary. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so while Psalm 8 is originally, first of all, focused on mankind, on humanity, on Adam, on image bearers, all of us, and the dominion mandate given to Adam and to all image bearers, the author of Hebrews is picking up on that, and he's applying it ultimately as pointing to Jesus. We're like, as Adam and mankind has a God-ordained representative rule over all the earth, Jesus Christ is the better Adam, who as God has ultimate rule over all, not just the earth, but the universe. And that everything is in subjection to Him, and someday we will see it. Like right now, we don't see it. Like it's all, you need to hear me. It's already true, but it's not yet apparent. And that takes me straight into number three that you need that we need to remember. Remember that right now we live between two worlds. Not just like the here and now and the world to come, but we live between the already and the not yet. All right, Remember that right now we live between two worlds. The already and the not yet. And I need you to write those down. The already and the not yet. All right, That's a theological paradigm you see all throughout Scripture. Things that are already true. They are in effect. They are happening, but they are not yet fully consummated, fully finalized, fully realized. And that's what we have here with the kingship of Jesus. He is already king. Everything's in subjection to Him. Verse 8, Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He, being the Father, left nothing outside of His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjugation. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels Namely, Jesus. But look at this. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right. So he's already king. It's already like he already is, but it's not yet fully realized. We don't see it yet. The second coming hasn't happened yet. And so right now, we, all of us, live between these two worlds of the already and the not yet. And so number four then, here's how we live this out. Therefore, we must learn to rest. We must rest in the already and hope in the not yet. Rest in the already and hope in the not yet. Right? Right? Based upon all these things, we must rest. In the already and hope and the not yet. And I want to give you three examples of this. Three ways we do this. And so the first one is what we just keep talking about. Like Jesus. His kingship. Everything being in subjection to Him. We should rest in this already. Like it's already true. He's already been crowned with glory and honor. Verse 9. He's already lived, died. Resurrected, ascended, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the place of exaltation and power, where He reigns, not just someday, but right now. Right now. And so 1 Peter 3.22 says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. Right now. That's already true. Hebrews 1.3, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Like, that's already true. Everything is invisibly under His control right now. Even the things that don't make sense, they're still under His control already. It's just like I said a couple of weeks ago, we are finite and we are locked into our 70 or 80 years in one geographical location. We have no way to get out of that and see a bigger picture. Right, We're locked in, so we don't see how it makes sense. We can't see 400 years down the road. But God can. He's not trapped by time. He plays the long game. He lives above the loom. We live under the loom where it doesn't make sense. He sees the we, what He's weaving. We don't. And so He's reigning and ruling right now, even when it doesn't look like it does, even when it looks like mangled mess knots under the loom to us. But He's already reigning and ruling. And so dear friends, find rest for your soul in that truth. Even when it doesn't make sense. God is still in control. He still is reigning and ruling. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you and He's in control right now. Rest in the already truth. Even as we hope and long for the not-yet-truth. The day that Jesus cracks the skies and returns. He comes again, and His invisible reign in the, midst of a, in the midst of pandemonium gives way to His visible reign in the midst of paradise. And we will see all things, everything in subjection to Him. And along with so many things, Justice finally comes. Twenty years ago, in fact, it was September the 14th, President Bush stood at ground zero and gave just an impromptu uh, bullhorn speech to the emergency workers there. And as he was speaking, they shouted out to him, we can't hear you. And he responded, I hear you. And the world hears you. And very soon, the people who knock down these towers will hear from all of us. In a similar way, Jesus already hears you when you cry to Him. And the not yet that we hope in is that very soon, Jesus will show up with justice. That He will one day step on the stage and all of this brokenness and all of this greed and all of this injustice and all of this sin and all of this killing and all of this wickedness and put an end to it and bring justice to those perpetrators. Out of love for His children because He's a good father and you mess with His kids and justice is coming. And so if you've been hurt, violated, Wronged, accused, unfairly, abused, sexually assaulted. And it looks like your assaulter is getting away. Friends, God is just. And He says, vengeance is mine, not yours. It's mine. I will repay. Friends, all things will be set right by Christ. And so rest in the already of like already, it is going, He already is reigning and ruling, and someday He will come and bring justice and bring peace and bring paradise. And so rest in the already, Jesus is on His throne, even as you hope in the not yet, when He comes again. And it's the same thing, this already-not-yet paradigm is also true in our salvation. Like we are already saved, but there are not yet components of that. Like we are already saved, but that salvation has not been fully consummated at the coming of Christ. We've already been made godly, positionally, but we're not yet fully godly as we will be when Christ comes again. We are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are already being transformed to the image of God. We are already no longer enslaved to sin, but we are not yet morally perfect. We are not yet in glorification as we will be when Christ returns. Like Positionally, we've been set apart. We've been declared guiltless. By Christ. We've been adopted into the Father's family. But as the reformer, Luther, also the namesake of my dog, puts it, Luther is famous for saying this, Simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously justified and a sinner. That's who we are. We are simultaneously justified in Christ, yet we are still sinners in this world. But one day, Christ will come back and there will be no more sin. There will be no more sin. And the shame and the guilt and the regret we feel over our sin, we won't feel anymore because we won't sin anymore. We might feel it for a minute. That may be what Jesus is talking about when, when it says, when Revelation says, He will wipe our tears away. But we won't feel it anymore going forward. Our trials and temptations will be over. And so if you have trusted in Christ by faith, rest. You are already loved by Him, adopted into the Father's family. Cared for, forgiven of sin, declared not guilty already. But hope in the not yet realities that is fully realized when Jesus returns. And 1 Corinthians 2 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined becomes reality in the new heavens and the new earth. Rest in the already. Hope in the not yet. And again, we could apply this in a gazillion different ways. Joy, peace, fulfillment, meaning, purpose, contentment. We rest in the already. We hope for the not yet. But the third and final way I want to apply it this morning is as it relates to death. Because verse 9, Jesus tasted death. For everyone. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week in verses 14 and 15. It talks extensively about death. But, like, already, all right, already not yet, already Christ has defeated death. That has already happened. When did that happen? When he walked out of the grave. It has already happened. He has defeated death, and its existence is on the clock. The sand is running out on death's existence. But there will come that final day when death is ended. It is extinct. It is no more. And so friends, already, for, like, for those of you who have put their faith in Christ, and your family, your loved ones, or friends have put their faith in Christ and they pass away. We can have hope Right now, when loved ones died, we can have hope when we die. But the not yet end of death, when no more people die, is coming. The day when death is finally and fully swallowed up in victory and we can finally, mockingly, with Paul say, Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's gone. Yeah, it hurt, but it's gone now. That day's coming. We long for that. We rest in the already guarantee of it because Jesus has risen again, but we hope for its soon arrival when Jesus returns and death is ended. And we are now finally and fully with Christ, new heavens, new earth, reunited with our believing friends and family who passed away before us. That day's coming. You know, kind of talking about 9-11, um, you know that after 9 nine eleven, very soon we went to war with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Or in Afghanistan. And I was talking with John this week, and he pointed out to me that one of the things that it, like in emergencies, in medical situations, evac, those sorts of things, like horrible injuries, is that the people who you know, worked in that began to realize that people were not utilizing the space blankets that were in the first aid kits that they had. And you're like, it's Afghanistan. Why do they need a space blanket to keep warm? When you are bleeding profusely, your body temperature is going to drop. And so emergency personnel really started pushing, hey, use these space blankets. They will help save lives. And so they started doing this, but what was an unintended and unexpected benefit that happened was as they began utilizing them, they noticed... That those who had gone through horrible injuries and they were placed in the space blankets were were pulling it up close. They They were clinging to it. They were wrapping themselves up in it, pulling it tight around them for warmth, but also for comfort, for security. Like a blanket you have at home and it just makes you feel good when you pull it tight. Like things are going bad and you pull it tight and you hang on to it. It was like these little blankets gave people hope that it's going to be okay. And they held on to it and they clung to it. Friends, these truths that we're sharing today are are the same way. They should fill you with hope and comfort in the chaos of this life, but they can't just stay in your metaphorical first aid kit. You have to actively remember them, pull them out, wrap them around you. They're not just to be known like all of Scripture. It's to be lived. And so put these things in place. Wrap them around you. Let them give you hope and comfort that Christ has you, that He is holding you fast. And so as we face tough days, or even when you face really, really good days, remember There's a world to come. And don't just live for today. And remember that in that world to come, we will finally see everything in subjection to Jesus. But for right now, we have to remember we live between two worlds. Already and not yet. And we have to learn to rest in the already. While also hoping, looking forward to, longing for the not yet When Christ returns, all the sad things come untrue. And Revelation 21 comes in full. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold." The dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Rest in the already, hope in the not yet. Let's pray. Father, we pray because what we ask of you, we cannot accomplish ourselves. We pray to You because we are dependent. Only You are independent. We pray to You because You are Creator and we are creature. We pray to You because You have rescued us through the blood of Jesus. And we ask You now to help us to remember the truths of Your Word. Lord, so much of the Christian life is just reminding ourselves of what we already know to be true. We are prone to wander. We are prone to forget. And so, Father, help us to remember these truths. There is a world to come. You will reign visibly. You are reigning invisibly already. We live in an already, not yet. And so help us, Lord, to find our rest in the already truths of Scripture. The three we spoke of specifically today and the gazillion other ones. While we also hope and long for the not yet aspects of these things. And Father, we can't do this on our own, so we pray to You to help us remember. But Lord, You've given us a church, a body, a family, a community to help push one another on towards these things, to remember these things, to care for one another, to show that You are with us visibly. It manifests through the church. Your gospel is made visible and so help us to live these things out together as your people united around the gospel alone. And Father, as we respond to your word, as we pray right now, as I'm praying out loud and People are praying in their own minds, confessing and asking for help and aid. Father, I truly pray that we would not see this as like the screen that comes up at the end of a cartoon and says the end. We would pray and we would respond as you lead us. We would confess, we would repent. Perhaps maybe for some in this room, for the very first time, they would turn to You in faith today. But then for all of us, all of life is repentance. Help us. Aid us. Thank You. Praise You, God. It's for Your beautiful name we pray. Amen.